for pouring out your praise to our good and great God this morning. Uh, glad to release the kids for uh, their classes. So the very youngest, you know, nursery and preschool kids can go now. So, uh, once they're on their way, we'll release the rest of the kids today. While you're going, I'll call uh, Daniel Dorman to uh, come to my side here. Okay, and now the rest of the kids can go off to your classes as well. Thank you for waiting. There's a lot of worship this morning. We have a guest speaker with us this morning, Daniel Dorman here from the Church down in the south end of well. And uh, we look forward to hearing what God's put into your heart to pass on to us this morning, Daniel. Daniel has spoken here several times in the past, and it's always been uh, an encouragement and a blessing and good food for us to feed on from God's Word. Daniel looks a little extra tired this morning. Uh, it's not because of the time change. Uh, he and Fiona gave uh, have given birth in the past couple of months to a new little fellow, and, uh, and so uh, you know what happens when they come along, right? Daniel, welcome. good to be back. I was trying to articulate to somebody that I was coming here to preach, and I used the phrase that I, I was going to preach at my church away from church, intending to sort of say like my home away from home. The, the problem is that church away from church kind of sounds like, I don't know, not going to church? So this is my, you get the point. Thanks for, thanks for having me back. It's a, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be here. Um, let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning eager to learn from you, eager to hear from you. Would you open up your word to us? Would you speak to us of who you are? Would you allow this word to come alive in our hearts and in our lives? Would you help us to love you better, to be better witnesses to your gospel in this world. Praise Jesus' name. So we're going to be in Psalm 11 this morning. So if you did bring a, a Bible, Bible, a, a, you know the one on the pages, uh, you can turn there. Psalm 11. Let's uh, let's read that. To the choir master of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow, and fitted their arrow to the string, to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test, the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. 
moving like that. So there's, there's a chance, maybe, that a few of you out there um, know that I'm a musician, uh, a singer-songwriter, a, a folk musician, uh, label it what you will. And I put out an album a few years back, and I have released some songs since. And one of the things that always happens to me in the process of distributing a song, or just you know, in the process of the music industry, you get asked to label your music, and you get asked to label it by genre and subgenre. So my genre is folk, and then I always get given this label, and the the subgenre that I get assigned is brooding. And I never know quite what to do with that. My music is brooding, or sometimes even worse, is moody. I it gets called moody. Uh, but the reality is that there is this sort of subgenre that exists. It's, it's quite popular. You'll see Spotify or Apple Music playlists that are like the saddest songs of 2022. You're like, why would anybody listen to that? And then I realize I write those songs. So. <laughs> um, it's quite popular. There's, there's names maybe even that some of you listen to artists like, uh, like Noah Gunderson, if, if uh, he's kind of popular in Christian circles because of some of his earlier music. Or, or our Canadian songwriter, Donovan Woods. And Donovan Wood's last album was just called Big Hurt Boy. So he's making fun of himself for being part of this sad song trend. And I think it's actually a pretty prevalent uh, trope in our culture, right? The tortured artist, the angsty poet, the Van Gogh ear-chopping type, right? There's a long history of this within, within modern art. Even actually at the beginning of the sort of modern art period, a, a poet named Lord Byron, very sort of brooding fellow, um, he wrote this poem, and I'm going to just, just read it through, but it's called My Soul is Dark. My soul is dark. Oh, quickly string the heart I yet can brook to hear, and let thy gentle fingers fling its melting murmurs o'er my ear. But bid the strains be wild and deep, nor let thy notes of joy be first. I tell thee, minstrel, I must weep, or else this heavy heart will burst. Melodramatic, moody, brooding, colors, love. So this sad song trend, this big hurt boy trend, is actually deeply rooted in our culture. And there's a sense sometimes that it's even somewhat uh, cathartic, right? We, we're sad for the sake of cleansing ourselves of sadness. Right? Byron says, but bid the strains be wild and deep, nor let the notes of joy be first. He's saying, I'm choosing to be sad, and you should all choose to be sad with me. This is a good thing. There's a sense that to be willing to be sad, even to be sort of dark, is even sort of authentic or, or noble. And if you go one step before Byron, you can trace this back even further and look at something like Greek tragedy. There's this desire to be sad, to be sad for the sake of being sad, almost. And you might be wondering why I've, I've kind of dwelled on this, but it's because I want us to start this morning by noticing a distinction, by kind of juxtaposing this, what I call the sad song trend, with lament. With lament in the Bible. Because both are deeply sad and deeply broken, but lament is not merely sad. It's not merely broken. Right? Both the sad song trend and lament have moments of, of incredible authenticity. Of finally saying out loud how broken things are. Right? It's these moments of honesty. 
But lament is not merely honest. It's not just about expressing what's inside. Right? The modern sad song trend is despairing and sometimes even sort of self-glorifying. It, it relishes brokenness. It encourages us to think as victims. Whereas lament expresses an even deeper depth of brokenness. Where we reach the end of ourselves. But then we reach out to God. But then we reach out to God with our hopelessness and helplessness. So as a sort of definition of lament to hang our hat on, and that we'll build throughout this morning, uh, we'll start off with this, that to lament is to bring our brokenness to God and to take refuge in Him. To lament is to bring our brokenness to God and to take refuge in Him. It's not just grieving, it's bringing our grief to God. It's not just being sad, it's bringing our sadness to Right, so let's, let's dig back and we're going to kind of work through Psalm 11 here. It's only seven verses long, so we can sort of look at it verse by verse. Our very first line, in the Lord I take refuge. Right, so I'm not making up the definition, thankfully. comes straight from here. And it's helpful actually in reading the Psalms in general just to recognize that oftentimes the first line of a song functions as a summary. And so here we have a summary of this song of lament. In the Lord I take refuge. We see David throwing himself upon the resources of God. And we'll see that David is in terrible distress. But that he's turning to God in his distress. He's broken, but not merely broken. Keep reading. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow, they have fitted their arrows to the string, to shoot in the dark at the upright and at in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So what's happening in these verses? I think there's a few pieces of context that can help us to sort this out. First is just the phrase, flee to your mountain. I think sometimes in scripture we, we picture... Um, mountain as a place of help because that's where God comes down from. That's where the help comes down from. But in this case the mountain, it's not, it's not help coming down from the mountain. It's the mountain itself as the help. The mountain was the remote place. It was the place with places you could hide yourself. Right? And we know from scripture that David literally did that at times. So when he says, how can you say flee to your mountain? He's saying there's no safe place for there's no safe place left. And again, this is a psalm of King David, and we know from Scripture, from the narratives of, of the Old Testament, that there were points in King David's life where his, his life was threatened, his reign was threatened, his throne was threatened. So I think we can, we can assume, we can, we can realize that his life is probably literally on the line in the context of this psalm. And as king, maybe not just his own life, but the whole stability of the kingdom is on the line. So David is in deep distress. And he's saying, essentially, I have nowhere left to run. There's no safe place for me. And I think David is even a little bit angry. There's a bit of a how dare you sense to the way he says it. He says, how can you say to me, run to safety? 
There's no place left. David says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Right? David is almost accusatory. He's almost saying, God, I held up my end. I've done the right thing here. Where are you? Why are you letting everything fall apart? The foundations are destroyed. Why are you letting everything fall apart, God? David is desperate, and David is in crisis. And then there's this break, this stop in the poem. There's this moment of pause. And, and you've heard the phrase reading between the lines, and that's, that's important here, because between the end of verse 3 and the beginning of verse 4, there's an incredibly dramatic shift. Right? If you, if you look at it in the ESV version, which you wouldn't have that, that ended up necessarily up here, but there's, there's actually just two stanzas to the poem. First three verses, and then verse four to seven. So this is the break between the two stanzas. And I think the ESV did that well, because there's such a dramatic shift. What I'm going to try to do is to try to do it's almost a, a dramatic reading with a bit of commentary in the sense that I want us to, to feel the shift between verse 3 and verse 4. So I'm just going to go back and read starting in verse 1 again. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrows to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. God, there is nowhere left for me to go. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? God, I did my part why is everything falling apart? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. If you study poetry, you'll know that in traditional sonnets, there's something called a turn or a volta. It's an Italian word because the Italians made it up. But it's where there's this sudden emotional shift, a drastic change in understanding, a realization that the poet goes through and that the reader goes through with the poem. If you're reading a Shakespearean sonnet, it's between the 12th and 13th lines of the sonnet. But Shakespeare didn't make it up. Shakespeare got that technique from scripture, and I think particularly from the Psalms. You'll see this all the time in the Psalms. It's the moment of, and yet. It's the moment of, but God. It's the moment of, and still I trust. And we see that here between verses 3 and 4. We see David going from brokenness and anxiety and desperation and even accusation to submission and to worship. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. David realizes, David remembers, David resets his understanding that the true foundation has not been shaken. That God has not left his throne. It's almost like God stepped in calmed the storm inside David's heart and said, I am still here. I'm still one with him. I want us to look at one 
sort of similar moment. It's actually in the book of Lamentations, Lamentations 3. So if you have a physical Bible, you can start flipping there now. But if you read the book of Lamentations, you'll realize that the book of Lamentations depicts absolute brokenness. Horrifying pictures sometimes of, of human depravity, of the tragedy that arises out of sin, both for a community being Jerusalem and for the individual person, the individual sinner. So I'm just going to read a, a few verses. Lamentations 3, starting in verse 16. And I apologize, I, I didn't get the slide in any time, so you'll just have to listen along. Lamentations 3, 16. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is my portion. The very character of God. The unshakable nature of God is the firm foundation. Right? The person of God himself is the answer. Right? The author of Lamentations here highlights the, the mercy and the faithfulness of God. David in Psalm 11 highlights the power, the authority, the holiness of God. But in both cases, it's the very character of God that breaks through despair. That breaks through anxiety. That breaks through desperation. So to build on the definition I brought up earlier, to lament is to bring our brokenness to God and to take refuge in Him. And we take refuge in God by simply remembering who He is. We take refuge in God by simply remembering who He is. Keep reading in Psalm 11, back there, starting in verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man, the Lord tests the righteous. There's an analogy that Timothy Keller uses to preach on this sermon, and I'm just going to steal it, and it's approximately this. There's a, a lumberjack, 
he walks into an area of a forest that he, he's, he means to clear. He needs to clear the land, so he needs to get rid of, of all the trees there. And, and he walks up, and he has his axe, and he walks up to the first tree, and he's about to swing, and he, he hears a little, a little bird chirping up in the tree. And it looks like the bird is just about to build a nest. And he thought, well, that, that will do. So instead of hitting it with the sharp end of the axe, he flips the axe around, and he just bangs on the tree with the back of the axe. He, he essentially shakes the bird loose. And of course the bird leaves, and so he chops down the tree and does what he needs to do. And then he goes to the next tree, and of course the bird is there. Over and over and over again, he has to shake the bird out of the tree. Until finally, the bird flies further away and makes its nest in a rock. I think sometimes we go through the same experience as the little bird. The Lord tests the righteous, but... He puts us through trials designed to break down the unstable things in which we put our trust. We go through trials designed to break down the unstable things in which we put our trust and to call us to trust in God alone, in the firm foundation. Because the character of God alone is sufficient for us to trust Him in every trial. I want to acknowledge quickly too that there's some difficult lines in here for maybe modern Canadians. Um, I think any time in scripture that fire and sulfur and scorching wind comes up, our sensibilities aren't really sure what to do with that. And I don't want to dig into this too much, but I think part of the issue here is that we often just misunderstand what's going on in these passages. I think we can understand these verses as David continuing to take comfort in the character of God. Right? David taking comfort in the knowledge that God is not ambivalent towards violence and evil and oppression. David taking comfort in the justice of God and in his righteousness. Final verse, Psalm 11, verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The upright shall behold his face. So we've said that to lament is to bring our brokenness to God and to take refuge in him. That we take refuge in God by remembering who He is. And we'll add, by remembering that God Himself is our portion and our prize. To lament is to bring our brokenness to God and to take refuge in Him. We take refuge in God by remembering who He is. By remembering that God Himself is our portion and our prize. Because right? God's character is our comfort in the present. The Lord is on His throne. And God's character is our hope for full satisfaction in the future. The upright shall behold His face. It's the ultimate comfort. The ultimate hope is in that intimate communion with God. That intimate knowledge of God. 
to behold his face, to contemplate who he is, to contemplate his character. Right? To behold God is our full satisfaction and our entire hope. And we need nothing but him. There's a great song, fairly recently written, called Yet Not I, but Christ in Me. I'm not sure if you know it, but the first two lines go like this. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. On the cross, Jesus fulfilled our every need. And so Jesus himself is our comfort, our portion, and our prize. And we need nothing but him. close this morning sharing briefly about the testimony of my father-in-law, Philip Serres. Some of you maybe know him. He's sort of known within the church world a little bit, but two and a half years ago, my father-in-law, Philip, was diagnosed uh, with ALS. Um, it's actually my wife and I, Fiona, we were living in Ottawa. We chose to move back to the region uh, in large part because of that. And for those that don't know, ALS is a, a disease that affects the brain primarily, and what happens is the brain just essentially stops communicating to the body, um, and so you get slow paralysis, um, and from that, uh, eventually the, the brain stops communicating to the lungs and the diaphragm, and so you stop breathing. And there's no uh, medical cure. So outside of the intervention of God, this disease will take my father-in-law's life. And we believe in healing, and we, of course, still pray for that. Just a few weeks ago, my wife's family and I, we got to go on a little family vacation. It was sort of a last-minute thing. Travel's getting more difficult. There's more medical interventions required for my father-in-law. And so we, we hopped in two minivans um, and drove down to Florida. And it was an incredible time together. But while we were there, I was playing one of my moody songs, <laughs> which is really a song, uh, a song of lament. And it, it caused my father-in-law to reflect. Um, he communicates with a, a technology called iGaze, so it's a camera on a tablet that, that tracks his, his pupil movement, and he's able to type with that. So this is what he, he typed out using the movement of his pupils. Lament gives us permission to be sad. To be honest. To want to go home and get away from this crippling grief. This is what it means to lament. To flush our souls of the fears, confusion, the sadness. Not in despair. Not alone. But crying out to our Heavenly Father who remains with us. This week of vacation has been precious beyond words. But it's beyond words to think of not growing old with you. And way worse is any thought of you in pain or struggle in dealing with my passing. Let's be honest. I want to go home. 
or wake up, or jump off, click restart, whatever it takes. But I leave that with you, my Lord and Savior, my King and Creator, my God and Father, who I trust completely. To lament is to bring our brokenness to God and to take refuge in Him. We take refuge in God by remembering who He is and by remembering that God Himself is our portion and our prize. Amen? Amen. Amen.